We've been looking at Christ, community, and, and cause. Christ, community, and cause. And I've walked through Christ and the whole fact that he's central to everything we do. Community, we are a community of believers. There's a community of unbelievers, but there's a community of believers. And we're called out of the world into fellowship with the Lord first and foremost and with one another. And as a result of that, how we love one another and how we walk together and all the different one another factors. How we're being empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ in transparency, in authenticity, and all the rest of it uh, speaks to the world. And so often we say that we emphasize Christ and we jump right over community in order to get to the cause, and cause being an activity that we think is going to produce unity. Do you catch that? Cause being activity that we think is going to produce unity. Folks, we're not called to produce unity. And I know that potlucks are great. <laughs> I love them. They're fun, you know. I eat way too much at them. And I've told you all too much that I like chocolate because I get way too much of it from you. Uh, but I'm grateful. I don't turn it away. I do share it, you know. But the point of the matter is, is we jump over community to get to the cause because somehow we think that when we talk about unity, that that unity comes from what we do. We're called to preserve unity, to guard it, to watch over it, and if possible, to walk together. There's times where it's not possible. If somebody wants to say that they believe in something other than what Scripture teaches, for instance, and I use the virgin birth all the time, if, if a teacher wants to say that they don't believe in the virgin birth, well, then they shouldn't be teaching here at Hoffman Town. Amen? That's the point. Sometimes doctrine divides. It doesn't mean we gotta get ill with one another. It doesn't mean we treat one another with a lack of respect. But it does mean that what we're talking about when it comes to unity, it's not something we produce. It's not something we create. It's something we cultivate. It's something that we uh, watch over and guard. We preserve. That's essential. So in the midst of it all, when we talk about all the different factors of community, we're a body of believers called out of the world into fellowship with the Lord first and foremost and into fellowship with one another. And when we talk about uh, Christ and the centrality of who he is in the midst of our community, then God in us begins to produce love through us. We begin to serve one another. We begin to love one another. We begin to forgive one another, as John talked about. We begin to walk in Christ's life towards one another. And by the way, it's all by grace. Because if you think you can accomplish that, then probably there's some wrong beliefs. I mean, the Pharisees thought they could accomplish it and what did it get them? We've got enough Phariseeism in religion today, don't we? We, we don't want that anymore. I hate religion. Uh, I really do because it just produces death. It just reveals to us what we're not rather than producing the change within us that only Christ can accomplish. Amen? So when we talk about cause, we've got to be careful about this one because so often we jump to the cause uh, and, and we do it in all kinds of different ways. What's the vision? Well, when we talk about vision, what do we mean by that? Well, generally speaking, what we mean is what is the specific activity and in our context that's going to help grow our church to the point of what it used to be. It's always amazing to me to talk to people about vision. It's amazing to talk about what it is that we're doing. <laughs> 
Ultimately, our cause is first and foremost Christ himself. And if we lose sight of that, then the activity means nothing. Amen? I mean, that's the truth. If we're not being empowered by the Lord, led by the Lord, shepherded by the Lord, if we're not learning to die to self, walk with God, if we're not loving with one one another, if the Spirit of God is not producing His love in and through us and all the different characteristics of it, then the activity literally means nothing. It's a facade. So we got to go to the deeper issues. we got to go to the roots. When you see a plant that needs help, what do you do? I've got one in my backyard right now, and I, I don't have a very good green thumb. I kill things. Uh, <laughs> it's scary. I'd like to do some tomatoes again, but I feel bad for the plant. You know, whatever, whatever plant that I come down the aisle in order to buy, it's screaming, no, not Eric, please don't come, you know. But I've got this little plant that I've been hanging on hope for. <laughs> and it's an evergreen. It's an evergreen. It's supposed to live. <laughs> Sorry, little thing. And I keep thinking, mom actually threw it out because it was dead. And I went, no, it's still alive. And I came back and I planted it and got it and, it, and it. and it started to sprout. Why? Because I watered it and I took care of it and I fertilized it. And I don't know if it made it through the winter. But what do you do? You, you go to the roots. Because when you see that there's a lack of fruit, you, you don't try and make something happen with regard to fruit production. You go back to the roots. And you go back to the essential things. And the essential thing, ultimately, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's kind of work through this a little bit with uh, regard to cause. Christ is the center of everything we do. And, it, and he should be, if he's not. And certainly he's empowering us in the specific challenges he has for us. Anybody facing challenges? Anybody facing challenges? Half of you, three quarters of you are lying. You didn't even raise your hand. Everybody's facing challenges, right? We're facing challenges as a nation. I mean, the importance of in being in prayer, not just on a specific day, but every day. The fact of the matter is, is we've got challenges all over this world. We've got challenges in our families. We've got challenges in our communities. We've got challenges in our churches. It seems like everywhere we go, there's something that is difficult facing us. And the Lord ultimately is the one who empowers us in the specific challenges that have been filtered through his hands for us. Why? Because we've got to learn to die to self. We've got to learn to say, yes, Lord. We've got to learn to walk with God and recognize that he is the answer in the midst of the challenges. He's the one that gives the joy. He's the one that gives the peace. He's the one that gives whatever is necessary in the midst of that challenge to us in us first and then revealed through us as we say yes to him. Well, Christ is our primary cause. And secondly, we have a potential in him, in him. It's not our potential in terms of our talents and our intelligence. It's our potential in Christ. And lastly, we have personal challenges that we walk through, not only individually, but also as a church. But first of all, our primary cause is knowing Christ and following him. Folks, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line of life. Jesus said it in John chapter 17, this is eternal life that they may know you. And that word know there is the word to experience you, 
to experience you. When we become believers, Christ comes and dwells within us, and we automatically, as children, understand that God is good. We understand that we are in need of him. There are certain intuitive things as believers, because Christ lives in us and we are new creations in Christ Jesus, we automatically know. But now we get the opportunity of experiencing him day by day, moment by moment, as we walk with him, as we say yes to him, as we (laughs) look to him because he's the center or should be of everything that we are and everything that we do. Foundationally, our cause is Christ himself. Don't ever ever think of activity as being the first issue. Always understand that the foundation of anything and everything that we talk about, even if it is activity, the foundation of it is always our personal walk and our corporate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's got to be there. Because if he doesn't empower it, if he doesn't lead in it, if he doesn't raise it up, then it's just a facade and it means nothing. It's just activity that we think that we can pat ourselves on the back for and it really has nothing to do with eternal things. There's all kinds of different things that it may have to do with, but it has nothing to do with the Lord. The Ephesian believers were reminded or rebuked of this. And if you remember, uh, Paul closes out his letter to the Ephesians and he talks about their love. And throughout the entire letter, he talks about the love of Christ for them. And he, he actually commends them for all the different things. And then we get to Revelation and the Lord even commends them. But this time he commends them for the good things that they're doing. They've got good doctrine. They don't put up with false doctrine and all the rest. But what does he say to them? This I have against you. You've left your first love. See, if Christ isn't our primary cause, then ultimately everything that we're doing is just a facade. He is the one that strengthens us and encourages us and deepens us and all the rest that he alone is able to do. And every believer ought to be in love with Jesus. We ought to be in love with Jesus, folks. We ought to be purposefully, intentionally choosing day by day, moment by moment to say yes to the Lord in everything that we do because ultimately to know him, to experience him and walk with him day by day, following him, whether it's getting into the word of God, whether it's coming to church and sitting under the teaching of the word of God, whether it's here in worship or whether it's in a K group, whether it's on a Wednesday night in a particular class, whether it's with friends and discipleship settings, whatever it may be, to know the Lord is our primary cause. To follow him is an outflow of that. Well, the foundational activity that the Lord produces within us and through us is love. And I I like, uh, Paul puts it in so many different ways. As As a former Pharisee who knew the law, who even could say of himself that he was blameless when it came to the things of the law. If you looked at Paul's life and then looked at the law, on the exterior, Paul looked blameless. There was no way that you could point the finger at him and say, well, you you did great over here, but Paul, this was horrible. This was bad. He says of himself that according to the law, found blameless, but he knew his own heart. He knew his own heart. The Lord deals with our hearts, and the Lord is constantly wanting to work in our hearts Because the foundational activity that should then be expressed through our lives when we are yielded to him from within is love. Why? Because God is love. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And against love, there is no law. 
If you're walking with Christ, if you're walking in Christ, if Christ is transforming you from the inside out, then what happens? God begins to produce through us love. And no matter what activity we participate with God in the midst of, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we are, no matter what the circumstances, the situation, no matter what the environment, God's love through us begins to be revealed in such a way that he leads and guides us and directs us And therefore, we find ourselves, through his power and his strength, actually keeping the law. It's amazing. Love is servant-oriented toward every believer. And it's also a compassionate-oriented love towards unbelievers. It's servant-oriented within the body of Christ because when we say we're really walking with the Lord and God is changing us and transforming us, the activity that will be seen is service towards one another. And of course, there's others. There's forgiveness and all the rest. But fundamentally, it is you first. You first. I want to put you first. And when we talk about the world, there's a compassion. There's something deep within us. That as we're walking with our Lord and as God is transforming us and as God is changing us, that as we see people that are lost, that are desperate, that have no hope, no purpose, they don't know what's going to happen to them if they die. They're fearful. They're looking for things in all the wrong places. They, They don't know what they're even trying to accomplish half the time. We have a deep compassion for them. Why? Because Christ in us begins to produce that. Christ is our cause, and out of this flows our mission. It's his heart. It's the rescuing of the lost. It's ultimately the Great Commission. It's about making disciples. Listen to this quote from Chuck Colson out of the faith. This really gripped me when I read through this. Chuck said, we worship God because God is worthy of our worship. The church glorifies God on earth, And this is a primary means by which we participate in God's life. When Jesus said the gates of hell cannot stand against his church, he was foreseeing the people of God drawn into unity with God and each other through worship, spilling out of our meeting places to spread the gospel and righteousness. We worship God in our churches so we can follow him in the world. Amen. Why are we gathered here? Well, we're here to encourage one another. We're here to point one another to Christ. We're here to be reminded about what the word of God has to say about us individually, corporately, etc. And the prayer is that God would meet with you in such a way that when you're here, that your life, once again, renewed, given to the Lord. Lord, whatever it is that you choose to do in my life, here's what you're going through. And maybe nobody else knows about it, but the Lord does and the Lord meets with you and the spirit of God in you begins to quicken his love and his grace towards you. And you are reminded once again, Lord, I just want to be a living sacrifice. Here's my life. Use it in whatever way you choose. And you have brothers and sisters that come alongside of you as the family of God within the community and they begin to encourage you and strengthen you. And remind you of the sufficiency of Christ. Remind you that you can't do it. God never said you could. He can. He always said he would. And we spill out of this place, having met with the Lord, ready to serve him, 
in whatever way that he chooses. Worship isn't just the music, right? We understand that, I hope. Worship is our attitude towards the Lord in the midst of our time together. Worship is the re-acknowledging that he is worthy of our worship. We worship him and we worship him alone. When we talk about gathering together, we want to come together in order to praise the Lord, to be reminded of all that God has done. I personally believe, and I hope you do as well, that Jesus Christ is the answer. He doesn't just have an answer. He is the answer to every individual, to every church, to every societal problem that we face. Period. Amen? It's the truth, right? I don't care if you want to talk about abortion. We had a CareNet banquet this past week. They did a wonderful job. Mary LeCue and all the rest. Praise God for them. Many of you were there. You know, folks, whether it's abortion, whether it's divorce, I mean, you could go through this list, right? Jesus Christ is the answer. He doesn't just have an answer. He is the answer because it's changed lives, and only he can accomplish that. Only he can bring his truth to bear in someone's heart in the loving way that he alone is capable of accomplishing it. And you know, the wonder of it is, folks, that we get the opportunity to participate with him in what he alone can do. Do you realize that? He, he invites us to join him in what he's able to do. And we get to experience him in the midst of it. And we come out of that going, oh my goodness, look what God's done. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his love. I believe the greatest threat to ourselves, to this church, to society at large, is pride, period. And I don't care whether it's religious pride or rebellious pride. And we all have elements of both of it in our, in our flesh, right? <laughs> Amen? Can we just be transparently honest about that? We all have that. We all struggle with it. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We all struggle. We struggle with spiritual pride. Yeah, if you don't believe me, just have your devotions at 4 o'clock in the morning one day and then go through the rest of the day and don't tell a soul about it. Yeah. Boy, it wells up. I know I had my devotions at 4 this morning. When did you? And I read Oswald. <laughs> Hilarious. We all struggle with spiritual pride, folks. We also struggle with rebellious pride. We hate in our flesh. We hate authority. We hate it. We do not want anybody telling us what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. And we wonder why children struggle with it. Hmm. Warren Wiersbe said something in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul's talking about adequacy. Adequacy. He said we're not adequate in and of ourselves. And that word adequate in 2 Corinthians 3, he uses it several times. It literally means competent. Competent. We're not capable in and of ourselves. Our competency, our adequacy, our ability is not from ourselves, it's from God. But just as a comment on this, their major emphasis, speaking of the individuals in Corinth, their major emphasis was that salvation was by faith in Christ plus the keeping of the law. Plus the keeping of the law. They also taught that the believer is perfected in his faith by obeying the law of Moses. 
Their gospel of legalism was very popular since human nature enjoys achieving religious goals instead of simply trusting Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to work. It's much, much easier, and please listen to this because this is absolutely correct. It is much easier to measure religion than true righteousness. See, when we talk about cause, what we normally do is jump right to activity. And we're good Baptists. And so the way we measure whether we're successful is how? Two things. Come on. Numbers, nickels, and noses. <laughs> Come on, it's okay, you can say it. I am one of y'all, and I get that. But that's how we measure it, isn't it? And I'm not saying those things are necessarily wrong, and I'm not saying that we can't look at those things as symptomatic, but we gotta go to the roots. We go to the roots. Folks, when we begin to walk with the Lord and we begin to say yes to the Lord, what happens is God begins to produce his love in and through us. One of the greatest threats to the church, one of the greatest threats to you individually, to me individually, to us corporately as a church, is spiritual or religious pride. It's, it's a disease. And we've got to get back to what is it that God has said about our walk with the Lord and the fact that he is central in everything for us. Flesh is activated by the law. The greatest obstacle to working of God in and through his people uh, is his people walking in sin rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit. You, there's, the list goes on and on, right? Gossip, unforgiving attitudes, self-sufficiency, selfishness, Sexual immorality or fornication, idolatry, divisions and factions, lack of faith, etc., 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 right? You can go to Galatians where Paul says, and things like these, such things like these. See, when we try to do things in and of ourselves, what we're saying is we don't need the Lord, and that immediately puts us into a position of pride. It immediately puts us into a position of self-sufficiency where we are the ones then trying to accomplish the causes, trying to accomplish the activities, and as a result, our flesh immediately reacts to that, and what we'll find in and through our lives are the very things that ultimately, as believers, we detest. We really do dislike flesh, don't we? The problem is, is we're so quick to see it in everybody else rather than ourselves, which is, by the way, why we need community, because we desperately need one another, because we have blind spots, and we need loving brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside at times to say, hey, friend, you know, the way you responded in that really didn't reflect the Lord very well. Is your heart okay? Are you doing all right? Jesus Christ ultimately is the answer. And friends, I, let's, let's, we cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus Christ ultimately is our cause. And as we learn to walk with him, and as we say yes to him, and as God begins to transform us, then the potential that we have in Christ Jesus begins to be revealed. You know this verse well. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The, the command there is not go. Many of you just took a real, man, sigh of relief. Praise God, I, I don't have to go to Africa. It's okay. Unless the Lord leads you there and then follow him. 
The command is make disciples. Make disciples. And it's the idea of as you're going, no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, no matter who you're with, make disciples as you're going. But let me put it two ways because I believe equipping and evangelism are found here. The first, I'm just going to deal with equipping. Equipping is for pastors and elders to guard a word-oriented, Christ-centered environment for the fitting, mending, repairing, and or building up, which all of those can describe equipping, the building up of each individual member, disciple of the body of Christ to do his will. See, we got to be Christ-centered. And in the midst of being Christ-centered, we will be word-centered, we'll be Holy Spirit-empowered and taught. And as a result, we'll be transformed and the Lord himself will begin to equip us to fit us into the body in the specific way that he has for us. And we'll become useful to the Lord as we learn to say yes to him, die to self, walk with God. And God begins to fit us together as a body of believers, as a community where his causes will begin to take place through us. No question. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do what? To do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Equipping is not just going to a class on Wednesday night or or coming to church on Sunday morning or going to a K group, whatever it may be. That's good. Amen. Do it. We need that. It's commanded, actually. But the fact of the matter is equipping is when we are learning to walk with the Lord and God begins to fit us to do his will. Equipping readies us to be used of the Lord. And let me make this clear as well to win others to Christ. So in our world, it's, it's become so much about me. We got hashtag me whatever. I mean, it just gets old after a while, doesn't it? But our whole culture seems to be so me-centered. I mean, we even have those uh, sticks that you can hook your phone on so that you can take selfies more conveniently. Steph and I were trying to do that the other day, not with a stick, but I was trying to hold the dumb thing. And uh, because we had mountains and we wanted to prove that we were actually there to our kids and, you know, (laughs) I'm not very good at selfies. (laughs) It didn't work. It was always blurry. Jonathan was texting, dad, smile. And I was like, man, the sun was in my face. I couldn't. I said, that just proves middle age, man. We are in it. We are in it. (laughs) It's terrible. Equipping readies us to be used of the Lord to win others to himself. Folks, it's not just about us. It's about the transformation that the Lord wants to accomplish in and through us so that we have a story and we can share and we're so excited about the Lord. We have hope. And as a result, we have the privilege of sharing with others the hope that we have in our lives. Equipping is to launch. It's not to insulate. Obviously, it's got to be in God's timing. It's got to be in his power. I want to read to you 
Have you ever read The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman? I would encourage you to get that book. I really would. Men in particular, if I could just say that, because he, he talks about men's ministry. He talks about how the Lord ministered to men. He says this, and, and just listen, it's only the Spirit of God who enables one to carry on the redemptive mission of evangelism. Did you catch that? It's not because we decide to do it. We may decide, but first and foremost, we, may, we need to decide to say yes to the Lord. And then God begins to produce this in us. Only the Spirit of God who enables one to carry on the redemptive mission of evangelism. Jesus underscored this truth early in relation to his own work by declaring that what he did was in cooperation with the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus was God in revelation, but the Spirit was God in operation. He was the agent of God actually effecting through men the eternal plan of salvation. Thus, Jesus explained to his disciples that the Spirit would prepare the way for their ministry. In this light, evangelism was not interpreted as a human undertaking, but as a divine project which had been going on from the beginning and would continue until God's purpose was fulfilled. It was altogether the Spirit's work. All the disciples were asked to do was to let the Spirit have complete charge of their lives. Wow. That is absolutely dead on. See, when we talk about cause, what we, <laughs> I can see it out. We, we gird ourselves. Man, we got the PowerPoint. We got the spreadsheet. We do the demographics. And all those things are good and well. I've done them. But if it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit... If he's not the one that is strengthening us and pouring himself through us as he transforms us. I want to tell you, friend, it's, it's going to burn. It's going to be tested by fire one day. And it wasn't out of faith. And as a result, it's not going to remain. It's got to be from the Lord. He's the one that accomplishes this. When we talk about the Great Commission, it's obviously equipping, but it's also obviously evangelism. Making disciples is not simply deepening someone. Clearly, that's important. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, that, that's essential, right? But it's also in order to have a disciple to teach what, what needs to happen. There must be a disciple, which means evangelism, which means salvation, baptizing them. There needs to be somebody coming to the cross in order to teach them from the cross. Quipping is an environment where a willing believer, a disciple, is deepened in their relationship with the Lord and in his word so as to be tooled up, to be equipped, to be fitted properly to follow the Lord into the arena of the harvest, into the field. Oh, man. Uh, let me read Robert Coleman again because the master plan of evangelism has been around for a while. You know Robert came... I think when I came in 010, he was here in 010. And he came and spoke at one of our missions conference. Got to meet him, and that's where I got the book. And I promised him I'd read it. And then I did it in Romania. It was amazing. He says this, It's time that the church realistically face the situation. Our days of trifling are running out. 
The evangelistic program of the church is bogged down on nearly every front, especially across the affluent Western world. In many lands, the enfeebled church is not even keeping up with the exploding population. All the while, the satanic forces of this world are becoming more relentless and brazen in their attack. It's ironic when one stops to think about it. In an age when facilities for rapid communication of the gospel are available to the church as never before, there are actually more unevangelized people on the earth today than before the invention of the horseless carriage. Right? Think about this, folks. If evangelism isn't happening, then clearly we're not following the Lord in the Great Commission. Would we agree with that? Because the Great Commission starts with make, what? Disciples and baptize them and then teach them. In other words, we are teaching people how to walk with God, how to yield to God, how to die to self, how to follow him in his wisdom and his grace, in his kindness and in his goodness. His sufficiency. Not our plans, not what we want, not how we would do it, but rather, Lord, where are you? I want to follow you. I want to join you. I want to experience you because Christ ultimately is our cause and he ought to be central to everything that we do, everything that we say. And Christ then begins to transform us. He begins to change us so that his love begins to be seen through us. And as we walk with the Lord and we're transformed by the Lord, guess what happens? God puts on our hearts a compassion for the lost. And folks, if that's not there, What do we do? Come up with another program? Come up with another faith kind of program? No, no. We go back to the root and we say, Lord, somehow my heart isn't right before you. And would you restore unto me the joy of the salvation that you've given me, this great, amazing salvation that I have in you? And would you put a love in my heart? Would you begin to transform me so that I'm willing to serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? But Lord, would you also begin to transform me so that you put a compassion on my heart for the lost? Because friend, if I'm gonna tell you something, you cannot walk by the Spirit and not have a compassion for the lost. You cannot do it. If you're walking by the Spirit, you will have a compassion for the lost. If you're walking by the Spirit, you will walk in God's love for one another. You will begin to experience God's transforming power. If that's not there, then I would suggest sin and pride have gotten in the way and we need to repent. Amen? That's the truth. Our personal challenge. I had so many different things on this. My mind, my brain was all over the place. I got really ADD on this, and <laughs> I'm going to try to keep this simple because there's a lot of things. Main focal points for us. First of all, individuals. Let's just start there. You know, every one of you is precious in the sight of God. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about that. There's not one person here that the Lord doesn't know. He, didn't, he knows everything about you, and you're absolutely precious in his sight. Individuals. We're we're made up as a body of believers uh, of individuals. And when we come to Christ, we get placed into the community, but that doesn't mean we lose our identity. We actually have our identity enhanced in Christ. Each and every one of us are unique and special. 
First Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long, and that word long, crave for it. And it's a command for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That word if there, it drives me crazy. It ought to be the word since, since. He's speaking and writing to believers. Since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Individuals, we want you to grow in Christ. I want to grow in Christ. I don't know about you. I'm not satisfied with this world and the things of the world. They get old. They disappoint. And after a while, it just becomes frustrating because it's so repetition and flat out boring. Right? I mean, it is. I think about heaven and the pictures that we had in Revelation. I think, wow. That's what we're being fitted for. Lord, do your work in my life. I want to know you and I want to walk with you and follow you. Lord, produce in me a love for the body of believers in your church and produce in me a compassion and a love that is sincere and authentic for the lost. Because in the midst of that, I get to experience God and that is life. And that's exciting. That's thrilling. It's not easy all the time. Amen? But it is amazing. Secondly, the family. The family. Oh my goodness, folks. Are, do we look around and just see the absolute attack on families everywhere, all the time? It's indescribable. I don't care if you want it, Hollywood and all this kind of stuff. It's a satanic attack on families, folks. It's indescribable. When we talk about the family, we're talking about a biblical family. And we're talking about God's ultimate discipleship environment where a wife loves her husband and a husband loves his wife. Where a wife submits to the lead of her husband and a husband submits to the need of his wife. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen because you wake up one day and go to some conference and they tell you to put stuffed bunnies in the refrigerator with notes on them to tell your wife how much you... <laughs> we, we actually had that happen one time. It's like, wow, get me out of this class. That's weird. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, if you do that thing, that's great. God bless you. Don't tell anybody about it, okay, please. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. We're not talking about some inordinate thing. We're talking about a picture of the beautiful relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. Why do you think Satan hates family so much? Kids get to grow up in that environment. And they get, to see, they get to see authenticity. They get to see a reality. They get to be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace and his sufficiency. It is God's ultimate discipleship environment. And what we're seeing is the destruction of the family. Family is called all kinds of different things. Children learn obedience and submission to authority. You know what I'm finding more and more about millennials? They, they've been so hurt by authority. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. They've been betrayed in so many different ways. They've built up so many walls to authority. When you have a loving husband and wife in a loving home that is Christ-centered, where God's love begins to be revealed through it, we're not talking about perfection because nobody here is perfect. 
but we're talking about consistent authenticity and a consistency of pointing each one to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those kids get to grow up in an environment where they get an understanding of the Father's love for them through the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, do we need that. We need to strengthen that. That's worthy of our lives, folks. We ought to be doing everything we can in order to strengthen that and see that be healthy here at Hoffmantown. Amen? That's absolutely what we need to be focused in on. But lastly, community. Community. Folks, there's a whole group of lost people. You know, somebody asked us a couple weeks ago, Bruce Witt was here, my friend from Atlanta, and he said, write, write a list of 10 names of people that you know that you're praying for that are lost. Can you do that? I want you to think about that for a second. Can you do that? Can you just take a list of 10 names? Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's people in your family. You write down 10 names that you're praying for that you know need the Lord. And you're saying, Lord, oh, use me in this. How can we go through revelation and how can we listen to the word each week? How can I study the word of God each and every week and, and not be transformed by the love of Christ? If that's there, then we need to repent of it. We need to say, Lord, would you do a fresh work in our lives? Would you remind us of the essential things and the main things and help us to walk with you in the midst of all that you are able to accomplish. Christ, community, cause. And there are certainly personal challenges that all of us have. There are certain spheres of influence that God has placed us within, no question. First and foremost, the cause is Christ. As a result of that, we begin to make disciples. We begin to equip and encourage and strengthen one another. We also have a compassion for those who are lost in evangelism, the sharing of our testimony, the sharing of that which Christ has done in our lives begins to take place. People come to us or God directs us to them. Either way, we begin to see people through God's eyes and we recognize that the harvest is white. It's ready. Are we willing to be a part of it? Are we willing to be a part of it? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? Would you stand with me? What's God doing in your life? Where are you in your walk with the Lord and in your relationship with Christ? You may be going through something that nobody else really fully understands. I want you to know God does. Are you hardened of heart? Can I just ask it that way? Are you, are you frustrated? Are you hardened of heart? Have you gotten your eyes off the Lord and onto the storm and you feel like you're just sinking, sinking? Maybe you need to just take a moment and agree with God, repent, change your mind with regard to the direction you're in and ask God to cleanse you, to forgive you and to move forward in him in Christ. Is anything impossible with God? Do we trust him implicitly, immediately, instinctually? How's God using us 
not only in this body of believers as he equips us and fits us together in his love to serve one another, but also in compassion towards the lost. How's the Lord doing that? Are we willing? Say, well, I don't know what plan to have. No, don't, don't go to the Lord for the plan. Let the Lord develop the plan. How many of us could take time and write down 10 names of people who need the Lord, who are desperate and are hurting? And are we willing to pray for them? Are we willing to say, Lord, here's my life. Use my life in whatever way you choose to minister, to serve, to love on, to encourage, to point these individuals who have no hope they have no assurance of heaven to you. Are you willing to do that? Can I ask you to do something this morning? I know the time, but I, I just sense the Lord working in a way this morning in my heart, in your heart, in this body. Are we willing to say, Lord, we want you to be absolutely the center of everything that we are? Everything that we do, everything that we say, we, we don't do things out of our own initiative, but rather we're walking with the Lord and he begins to change us and transform us and through us, his love begins to be revealed. And God puts a heart of compassion in us for those around us who, who don't know the Lord. Are we willing to just say that this morning? Are we willing to just say, Lord, would you do that in my life? Would you accomplish that in my life? Would you renew a love for you first and foremost, but also through that, Lord, produce in me a heart of compassion for the lost? Are you willing to do that? Would you just step forward and just come down and take a moment at the front and pray? Maybe you're with somebody and you need to just grab them by the hand and bring them with you. Just come forward. Are you willing to just say that this morning? Lord, I want to know you more. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want everything about my life to be about you. And Lord, would you produce in my heart a heart of compassion for the lost? Are you willing to say that this morning? And just encourage one another in that. Would you just come forward and just take some time at the front? You may need to talk to somebody or you may need to pray with somebody. There may be things going in your life, on in your life that are blocking the outward expression and flow of the love of Christ and you just need to confess it. You need to repent it. You need to get it right with God. Get it right, friend. Don't hang on to it. It's not worth it. But are you willing to just come forward and say, Lord, here's my life. Use it in whatever way you choose. Take a moment. Whether you come forward or not, that's really not the issue. I'm not counting. I don't, that's not the point. But right where you are, in your heart, are you willing to say that? How much time do we spend in prayer for those who are lost? God doing in your life. Hmm. Father, we come before you and I'm so 
amazed by you. I'm amazed by your strength and your grace and your goodness, your purity, your love, all that you are. The fact that you love me is incredible. That you love any one of us, that you sent your son to the cross to pay our debt so that when we believe in you, we might have life. That's amazing. It is amazing grace, Lord. And I thank you that we get to experience your grace every day, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance. Lord, we are heavy-hearted for our community, for this world. There are so many people around us that don't know you. They have no hope. They have no assurance of heaven. They're striving in their flesh to try to prove something that they don't have to try to prove. And Lord, you're good enough. And I thank you that you went to the cross and died for us. And Lord, we do thank you that the grave could not hold you down. What a beautiful truth. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would simply say yes to you, would yield to you, that your life and your love would be revealed through us. Lord, that you would just reaffirm and renew a heart for you first and foremost, but also a heart for people around us who don't know you. Break our hearts for the lost, Lord. Thank you for your grace and thank you for what you alone are able to accomplish. Be glorified through us, Lord. We pray this in your precious and holy name. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful day in Christ. Thanks for coming.